Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators. We have entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have marketing and business coaches. We have the folks who help others create their businesses and the do-it-yourselfers who like to have your own hands on the levers. If you are one or more of the above, and in fact, many of our listeners who tune in every week are all of the above, which is possible. Explore episodes, discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Google it, you'll find it. Also, search iTunes for Business Creators Radio Show. Fresh episodes loaded every single week. Make sure to give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear, because every five-star rating helps us help more business creators just like you. And when you subscribe and download it to your iTunes, over 200 episodes on a variety of timeless topics await you now. Today, we have a very, very, very special guest. This is a gentleman that uh, I have been looking to get on the show for a while now. And I've been following this guy, and then he comes to me one day and says, hey, can I be on your show? Sort of like serendipity. I love how that works. And he has a very unique approach. Um, And what we're going to be talking about is how to gain and retain customers. And we're going to take sort of a business development slant to it. So you're going to kind of get a different angle on a topic that we have covered a number of times, which is the whole idea of attracting customers and then retaining them once you have them. To guide us through this today, to guide us through this topic of finding them, keeping them, and getting them to spend more money, I introduce to you Terry Ogburn. And Terry is the renowned owner and lead business coach of Ogburn's Business Solutions, his proprietary coaching system and personal devotion to the development of others has contributed to the success of hundreds of small to large business ventures. And when you listen to Terry today, you're going to get a sense of why that is. So what I'd like to do now is bring Terry on board. Terry, jump on in. The weather's fine. Okay, great. Thanks, Adam, and thanks for having me uh, here on your show today. Pleasure's all mine. And uh, I'd like to remind our listeners, as well as you, that not only am I the host of the Business Creators Radio Show, but I'm also a student. I have my pad of paper and my two pens out as well, taking notes, looking for the slide edge to move my business forward. We're all in this together. By the way, that's a pro tip. When somebody says, have a pad and pen ready, I say have a pad and two pens ready, because here's what happens. Uh, Your pen runs out of ink. Your pen breaks. Your cat sneaks up and picks up your pen and walks off with it right in the middle of while you're listening, and then you have to go scramble to find a new pen, and then you miss an aha moment. With two pens, that doesn't happen. Little pro tip, you can take that home with you and share it with your own people. But Terry, what we'd like to do here before we dive into what we're going to cover today is for those of our listeners who are right now getting to know you, uh, finding out who Terry Ogburn is, maybe you could help us out with that. And just tell us a little bit about your own personal journey and what has happened and has brought you to where you are today at the intersection of your brilliance and passion serving business creators. Okay, good. Um, first, it's, it started as uh, with my air conditioning company um, uh, after being fired out of the car business. Uh, I found myself uh, in a apartment complex uh, whereby it was turning to a, a condo, and right. they had a broken furnace duct, and I could fix that. And and being in the car business, you didn't have you you had a demo and so forth. So I didn't have a car, so I paid all my bills up, had one hundred eighteen dollars and forty two cents left, and said, okay, this is how I'm going to start my business. And that started my air conditioning company. And then later on, it I found out all the things I did wrong, things that I could have done better, and I developed these three questions. I'm sure a lot of your listeners uh, have them as well. Is what did I do right? What did I do wrong? What could I have done better? And I've lived by those three questions and everything I do. And so that took me into uh, franchising where I was able to take a, uh, be a part of a team that took a company uh, to an IPO. Then I went from there into more uh, restructuring and developing uh, corporations and getting to involved in uh, turnaround stores for Radio Shack and uh, franchise uh, turnarounds for Century 21, uh, things of those nature, and then uh, yeah. decided 
to start my own uh, coaching business, the business development business, uh, 11 and a half years ago. Great. Awesome. So that is, that's fantastic. And I know that just, you know, some of the stuff you told us about, um, and I know you started this uh, back in 1979, and it was like, I think you told me in the green room, it was your last $118.42 exactly. And just you know, on, on, the, on the note of a, um, an air conditioning business, I remember my first summer in Las Vegas. I mean, I knew a lot about Las Vegas. I'd spent a lot of time here before I moved here. But what I did not experience was the air conditioner going out in the middle of July. And um, and I lived in this condo, which was really great, except I hated it. And uh, and uh, I mean, we, and we have a number of companies here in Las Vegas. One of which is known as the Yes Man, uh, where they can you can call them pretty much twenty four hours a day. No, come fix your AC unit. So I went to wanted to call one of these folks, but the landlord said, "Oh no no no, you have to use our approved technician, and he can't get there till the day after tomorrow." Like, uh, excuse me. Um, die, I'm dying here. My cats are rolling around on the tiles in the dining room trying to stay cool. I can have the yes man here in 20 minutes. So how about I how about I uh, call somebody in who can be here today, uh, so that me and my cats don't literally die of heat prostration, and you can pay them. Well, one of the reasons that I ended up not renewing my lease was they didn't think that that was such a good idea, and uh, and my cats to this day are among those rare cats that actually like to sit in front of moving fans because it reminds them of a day when they needed that just to stay cool. In fact, one of my cats is here right now, and just me talking about this has her uh, stirring a little bit. Uh, listeners of the Business Creators Radio Show know my cats hang around. Sometimes you hear them meowing in the background. Sometimes you hear their jingle bells, and you know that's just how it is. They are my personal assistants, and they work here, so tough noogies. All right. Yeah, good, good. So – so going back to your example, let's jump in here. Um, let's say you have an entrepreneur and they have very little income. So with very little income to invest with, how, what can you do to increase your business growth? Uh, it depends on if you know if you're the type of business that you're in. But basically, there's what I call low-lying fruit. And there's uh, right. you could start in some cases. You could start by picking up old leads, old things that you've uh, already been through. You know, old business cards, whatever. Start back by reconnecting with some of the uh, the older stuff you've been, you know, have worked and reworked. Oftentimes, when I went into a company, the first thing I'd ask for was, do they have any old, un, uh, overworked leads type thing? And that can get you that can get you started. Um, one of the uh, companies I'm working with now, he has a starting up a little maintenance company in a little office park area. So we're having him walk around and uh, go around to these different office park uh, offices in that area and, and pass out candy dishes and get the decision maker's card and kind of create a little process of how to get in the door that way. Door hangers, if you're in a neighborhood and you're carpet cleaner or you're doing some kind of service work in the neighborhood, uh, take a little door hanger, have your service people take some door hangers and, and put them all, you know, four or five around the, the, uh, you know, the house that you're cleaning or, or as many as you want type thing. Uh, there's very in, innovative ways and, uh, ideas you can come in. They're really low cost. They don't, they don't have to, you don't have to go out and spend a whole lot of money. I believe in nice. direct marketing. Get out there and get with, you know, just get eyeball to eyeball with them, you know, and, and, um, you know, you get to be able to report and trust with them. Yeah. Uh, so basically, we're going right back to where we started from. And, you know, what you touch on is one of the uh, the greatest principles when it comes to marketing and sales. The easiest customer to convert is the one who you already have. The second easiest to convert, um, all things being equal, is the one you previously had. So put those two things together, and that's a quick trajectory to success. Now, what you just described is very simple, but... What is it so difficult about sales? Why do people find sales to be so difficult? The typical reason is rejection. People, that's a major fear with, with most people in, in business. But we're all salespeople. And when we really realize that 
uh, we have to change our way of thinking and, you know, we stop approaching it from a yes or no perspective and, and uh, approach sales from a, an idea of consulting or, or being there to help the person uh, put the right product and service uh, with the right company. You're, you're like a broker. So even if you're the owner of the company, right. you just want to make sure that that you're listening to the customers' wants and needs. And I'll just give you a quick example. Uh, in the air conditioning days, um, the customer like you, Adam, just referred to, you needed your air conditioner fixed. Okay, but that's right. not what, when you wanted it. Uh, and you just described it. When did you want it? You wanted it on your time schedule. Okay, well, it, so was 100, asked, it was 190. Yeah, yeah, Terry, it was 119 I, I degrees. It. And it was 119 <laughs> degrees in Las Vegas. It didn't matter what I want. I was seriously concerned about my health. Oh, I get it. I get it. But yeah. my point was that uh, oftentimes the customer's uh, the needs and wants are two different things. And so we as, as uh, business owners and uh, in the, uh, at that level, our job is to figure out what, what that balance is. So all I did was took the power out of the technician's hands and, and then gave it to the dispatcher so she could – uh, actually get your air conditioner fixed on your time schedule. So uh, it's just finding that little that little balance in there of how you can make a difference. You know, we, we hear it all the time. It's a USP. It's, uh, you know, valued added uh, to, to your services. Anything you can do like that to make yourself stand out. Like another, for example, is Disney does not see another theme park as their competition. Their competition right. is L.L. Bean or Nordstrom's, okay, not because the, the, they have no compatibility when it comes to, you know, being a, uh, you know, a fun park, but what they do is go after their guest experience, and they right. duplicate that. Yeah, and, and see, that in itself is a leap because we're all in tune to think of our competitors as the people who do the same stuff we do. And what I've been sharing for years is sometimes those are actually your allies. Funny how that works. Exactly. Yeah, and you're exactly right. You're not supposed to see any any person in your industry as your competition. You know, right. you're supposed to be way ahead of them. You're supposed to be so far ahead of them. They're not. They're not. They're so far back in your rearview mirror. And another thing that business owners have a tendency to forget, and that's to keep their eyes on the windshield and, and not worry about the rearview mirror time. And we hear that cliche all over the place, but really oh, it's yeah. about the big picture. It's the big picture. It's not forget about learn from the past. Figure out what you did what you did wrong, what you could do better, and then just, just blaze a trail towards it. I say many times that the um, pioneers are the ones that had the, the arrows in their back. Right. Yeah, that's very true. You're very you're very correct about that. And uh, and also, if you want to look at it from the structure of a car, there's a reason why your windshield is big and your rearview mirror is so small. That's for a reason. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what is the first step, in your opinion, based on your experience, the first step when it comes to effective business ownership? Now we're going to get a little bit more into the biz dev side. A common mistake made uh, in business is trying to build your business from the from the ground up. Uh, only twenty uh, percent of the businesses that build themselves up from bootstrap themselves up actually uh, make it in business more than five years. However, when you build your business from the top down, you have a better than a ninety percent um, uh, success ratio. Now. Building from the top down is thinking it through from all levels. That means making sure you have all the money, you have all the tools, you have everything. You're not you're not going along on a, on a, a earn it and, and pay for it type thing. If you need funding, get funding. Just just make sure you have everything so disciplined that you can you can start fresh. Because if we're chasing money, when I was in the air conditioning uh, business, I can remember many times where I was trying to beat the clock, get to the bank by 2 o'clock so I could release the checks so that I wouldn't, you know, could put the checks in the mail so that they wouldn't bounce, you know, type thing. Uh, uh-huh. I, had to face, I had to face my employees one Thursday. It was about six of us. We had enough money to pay the – we had a, enough money to pay the phone bill. We had enough money to make payroll. I called them in and said, okay, guys – it's your money. What do we do? Well, luckily for me, we were able to work it out where we would give some money away and and paid our phone bill. 
So that is not the, the, the easiest way to do it. The easiest way is to make sure you have enough money for six months that you, if you're going to right. open an operation, keep a, your, or if you have an operation open, get a savings account. I used to take um, 2% of every dime that I collected in the uh, air conditioning world, and then that went into my savings account. And that way, for the rainy days, I had money put aside. Set a reserve account up. Think about your, uh, if you have equipment, trucks, think, think about your, your maintenance. You have to perform on them, the repairs that's going on. Think ahead and, and be able to get all of that money and then be able to pass those costs uh, on. So when you do uh, know that you're going to have $10,000 worth of maintenance on, on your lawnmowers every year, that expense needs to be passed on to the customer. Right. Right, 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 right. So uh, let's say you're not such a big corporation. This is going to be going back a little bit. Uh, so let's say you're not a you're a really big corporation and you can't afford Fifth Avenue. You can only afford Main Street, basically. How can you effectively use advertising and marketing and advertising when you have a smaller budget? Uh, focus on your uh, your demographic. Okay, so every every you have a sweet spot inside your um, inside your business. I tell every uh, the people I work with, you know, figure out what your pie is. So twenty percent of my business here, thirty percent of my business over there. Okay, find out uh, what that demographic looks like, age group, money, all the things that you need to know. But then take it to the next step. What is their psychographic? Where do they hang out? What streets do they live on? We have uh, direct mail is on the on the way back up, emailing and computer, you know that type of stuff on the way down. Okay, so if get into uh, you can even direct mail to one street, uh, one zip code. You know that's that's easy, but you can now the postal service will uh, mail just to one subdivision. But again, target your market. You you instead of mass marketing, target your market and get as uh, specific as you can possibly get. Okay, so you know we're talking about uh, you know as part of the things I heard in there were geo targeting is one of them. Where uh, let's say for instance you have an air conditioning business, so you could even I'm just making this up and I may be off by a dollar. Who knows? But if I were like say starting a small air conditioning business and I had exactly 118 dollars and 42 cents to invest in my marketing, you know what I'd be thinking about? I'd be thinking what subdivision was put in about 10 years ago. And I'd start there because you figure after about 10 years, there are going to be some air conditioners that start to break. There are going to be some HVAC systems that are going to start to need maintenance. There are going to be a lot of folks who just didn't take care of their air conditioning through routine maintenance, and that's going to be building up on them after about 10 years. And I would start there because, to me, based on what little I know, I mean, I know nothing about the HVAC industry other than my air conditioner is out. Somebody call, please come here and fix it. That's where I would start. So just tell me, Terry, how did I do based on you actually having owned a business like that? Well, actually, you were spot on, Adam. When Now, you go back. This is in the, the late 70s, early 80s. Okay, so when call forwarding came out, you know, the 7-2 number, you know, dial that. I had, yep. What I did is I went and got telephone numbers because my study showed that people called me. I got more calls that were coming in because of my the prefix of my my number. 886 happened to be the number. Well, I was getting a lot of 88 numbers. So that put two and two together, and I said, well, let me get a 935. So then I went out and got, just like you said, all the areas that were of age that I knew they were going to be breaking, those are the phone numbers I that I got from the phone company. Then I had to go out to find homes to get those people, friends of mine, to let me go in and actually dial the number because this, the technology, I was way ahead of the, the technology that's here today. You can just do this anywhere you want to. But, yeah, that's exactly uh, great advice. Single, uh, direct, you know, direct, direct uh, marketing, perfectly said. Yeah, so, and you know how I came up with that? Just a little basic common sense. Exactly. Most of the things that we need, we can do, we get so scared. We're out there, and I get it. It's you know, we're out there with our business. It's like our little baby. We're trying to make it work, nurture it, and keep it from getting hurt. So we we get fearful, and we get we we and that fear stops us from thinking. 
And so that's why I encourage people, think outside the box. Put your real person hat on. That's one of my favorite things. Put your real person. How would the customer really act? How would the customer really be? Because you're the customer. 86% of the people start their buying process online. So if you're, they're doing that because they don't trust salespeople, so you've got you to stop thinking like salespeople do. You've got to start thinking in a different direction. Yeah, one of our Yeah, one of our customers here, one of the things that he teaches in his own education program is that bear in mind that you may have somebody in your showroom who's getting ready to buy and even while you're doing the paperwork, you're still going to be on their smartphone looking online um at your competition. Exactly. So, today is far more about building um trust uh, from the get-go with people. And, and trust isn't just about being able to talk to the person. It's uh, uh, making sure that your floors are clean, making sure that your outside appearance is clean, making sure the colors in, the, in, the, in your business uh, coincide with the customer so they feel at least. You know, you walk into a red room, you're going to feel like you're on fire, okay? Well, it might not be right. good if you're trying to sell something subdued. So just because you like the color, that doesn't mean anything. Find out what the customers, you know, blues and yellows. IBM Blue comes to mind. IBM built a whole company based on the, the color blue. Right, exactly. And it's just, again, some of these little things. So, you know, we're talking about people get scared and people are thinking my business is my baby. Uh, you know, that $118.42 is probably – three months of phone bill that I'm now putting at risk. I mean, you're thinking at that level, you know, you're very cash strapped. Now what I see a lot of businesses do, especially in startup mode is they substitute activity for action. Now, does that phrase make sense to you? And uh, have you seen any examples of that type of thing? Sure. They think that uh, cash flow is making a profit. Right. And, and just because you're turning money doesn't mean you're actually making money. I was with a guy uh, a few months back, he came to me three and a half years in business. He's been selling hearing aids, and he never made a profit on any hearing, the actual hearing aid itself because when he figured out the cost and, and the, how much it was the distributor and all the different things that went went into it and the money he needed to make, he was actually losing $100 every time he sold one. Wow. But he kept But he kept generating money. And people started coming in. He said, Terry, it can't be that way. And I said, sure it is because you borrowed on your credit cards and you had a little a flux in business. So you paid off your credit cards, borrowed money on your house. And now I said, now you're sitting there with, with debt in your house and, and you're up to debt in credit cards. He goes, what, did you have a camera on my, on my house? I said, no, <laughs> I said, that's just normal. That's how, how you get all strapped up into that. So, yeah, you know, right. we have to challenge our belief systems in in a lot of cases as well. You know, just because you know I have worked with a uh, photographer and and she too was in in trouble, and I said, well, where did you come up with the price to sell your photo shoot from? She says, well, the guy down the street sells it for that. Well, I said, well, let's put it together. Let's make it see what it costs you. In three months, she was already on the path of recovery because she wow. realized that she has to sell her product for her price and to make her living. And she's not trying to follow the competition. One of my things is you study the competition uh, just so you know how not to do it. Right. Because if 80% of the businesses that are going to business that are failing, then the last person I want to follow is anybody that's, that's bootstrapping their business up. You know, you you know, you raise a very good, you raise a very good point there. Um, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> that, that when I think of activity to action, and I see this especially with startups, uh, they believe that they're moving forward because they're having lots and lots of meetings. Good point. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I saw a startup once. Uh, this was, oh, this is actually very early in my entrepreneurial evolution. So we have to go back about ten years, and they, I swear, they spent more time on expectations for how quickly you return somebody's phone call from within the team than he did on what are we doing to go out there to actually attract people with this business or see if what we're doing is something that people would actually buy. I mean, they were setting up protocols for, for text messaging each other and, and, uh, you know, and the you know, expected response time on emails and how to not notify each other when you were taking time off and all that. 
And I'm thinking, this is great that we're working on how we all get along so well, but are we doing anything to get along with prospects and customers? I was that guy who would sit in the meeting. I'd say, you know, we've been talking about putting an opt-in box on the front page of our website for a year now. Why the hell isn't there an opt-in box yet? What do we still have to talk about? I was in a – I got a similar situation, Adam. I was in a, with a company a few years back, and we were in a quarterly meeting, and we're sitting there – actually, it was in our annual meeting, and we're sitting there, and we're talking about all this great stuff. But I, I brought up says, well, guys, we've been doing this for the last 18 months. Isn't it time that we get profitable? And they dismissed right. it. They said, no, 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 we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> and wait really? Really? Yeah, that's, that was their, they just missed that because we need to get we need to get more infrastructure in place. We need to get more of this in place. We need to get more uh, training and all these different things in place. And I said, no, we need to focus on you know getting profitable. Then you can put all these things in place. They were just jumping yeah. out ahead of the game. Yeah. So you know um, you know Terry, I remember when I was um, I remember when I was in the MBA school. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I have placed a lot of value in, in my MBA. It's uh, it having that level of training and that level of educational background actually helped me to avoid a lot of mistakes and put me on certain paths that many folks who uh, you know think that they can just learn it all off the streets and get their street MBA just don't have. But I, I will tell you that I have this one, I have this memory of this one day that I was sitting in one of my classes. And the professor asked, what is, what is the purpose of a business? And I raised my hand and I said, purpose of business is to make money. And he went off on this 15-minute tirade, like what I had just said was the stupidest thing ever. Um, even saying things like, gee, that's like saying that the purpose of a human being is to breathe. Wait a minute. Business isn't supposed to make money? So they're not supposed to be able to provide a good paycheck for the people who invest literally a third of their lives in helping to support that dream. They don't have a responsibility to keep their infrastructure up so they can render great customer service. They don't have a responsibility to reach out to the market to increase their prospect and customer pool to help ensure the, the employability of the people who are on their payroll. You, you kidding me? It's it's a common mistake, uh, Adam, as you as you just uh, you just laid out. Um, and and but see, you happen to be a little different uh, person, typically that goes through the MBA. I I've met with a lot of MBAs, but most of them actually crammed the night before, so they didn't really learn anything. They got through right. their and they got their distinction, and you know they got their letters, but they really thought that book learning was going to be all they needed to be in business. But you do have to have a uh, you have to have a combination. I think you would agree with me. You have to have some street savvy stuff to know that the somebody doesn't come in and pull the wool over your eyes type thing. Because I've had that happen right. to me many times. I I've trusted everybody, and next thing you know, uh -huh. I'm the one that's you know not doing so well. But but uh -huh. at the same time, um, you know, I just another thing I jumped into the appliance business because in Florida, the air conditioning business isn't year-round. So I thought, well, I'll just get another income stream, get an appliance. So I uh, brought in a few subcontractors because I wasn't going to put a full employee on. So the guy, the first guy I put on said, well, here's how, we, how, here's how it works. I got a complete truck full of parts. Um, what will happen is you give me a call. I'll go out. We'll take the cost of the part uh, off the top. Uh, and then we'll split the we'll split the uh, the profit you know whatever's left fifty fifty and I said okay that sounds pretty good to me right okay so he goes out and I gave him a call and he goes out and everything's fine and he's saying then I got more business and yada 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 so about about uh, six weeks later the same lady calls in about a refrigerator so we. Of course, he's gone now, and I got a regular guy, and I sent him out there. And all, all the first guy did was take it, the fan motor out of the lady's refrigerator, take it to his tr truck, squirt it down with WD-40, put it back in, and he walked away with the lion's share of of, uh, of the ticket. And, of course, I had to do the, re the return repair, brand-new motor. All that had to go back in at my expense. So we made, yeah. we made, a, new, we made a new policy about things like that. but. Yeah, they uh, they take unsuspecting people, novices coming into business, and try to take advantage of them um, simply because they're they don't have any of that street smarts, you know. So, right. anyway, just to cap on to what you were saying. 
Yeah, and you know, you know, and I think and this is uh, I think we just need to touch on this very briefly. A lot of people listening today have made mistakes in their business. Uh, you know, I've made mistakes in my business. Everybody's done it, and in in some cases, in some cases, it's actually uh, you know something that can be that um, can be uh, pretty detrimental to you, and it can really get you down and keep you worrying about what's going to happen in the future. I mean, I remember I was in I I was in a joint venture partnership at one point and uh and you know it's funny it's funny, you know, it seemed it seemed like my role was was to make sure that everybody else got their piece of the money. Um but then I was the one out in front because all the money was being charged to my merchant account, which means it was my ass on the line and I had to chase everybody else down to do their part of the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and you know, and for a while that caused me to be a little bit gun shy when it came to things like being involved in joint ventures and uh, and things like that. But I had to recognize that not everything's like that, and I could be upset about it. Uh, but I could also learn in the future I need to do certain things. It taught, actually caught, taught me a couple of different lessons because I noticed that some of, that I had two partners in the venture, and one of them was really good at saying, "Where's my cut?" Where, meanwhile, leaving me twisting on the vine when it came to, "Hey, where's your part of the job that you were supposed to do six weeks ago?" And uh, and he was really good at somehow knowing every single time I brought a new customer into my business that was not associated with the joint venture and saying, well, isn't that part of the JV? Where's my 50%? He was real good at that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I learned, so, I, so I learned I learned two lessons. Lesson number one is if you're ever going to do a joint venture again, you do go a little bit beyond a handshake and you specify these activities are specifically what the joint venture does, and that's it. Nothing else is part of this joint venture, period. Because if that joint venture had been done properly, it would have been treated as nothing more than a lead generator for the, for the for the respective businesses of the people involved in the JV. Instead, it started getting into doing you know joint projects and joint proposals and joint fiduciary duties and and pay one person for the whole project and all that. What it should have been done is rendered one specific consulting service, allowed it as an opportunity for each of the members of the JV to introduce themselves to that shared customer and then let that shared customer say, hey, I want to work with this person on this or I want to work with that person on that, but not have the three of them all doing these joint proposals. It would have been better off. So I learned and you, that. And you, good. And, and you also bring up a good point because uh, a lot of your listeners and people that are out there, period, um, when you approach a new business adventure, I really am not – I don't – really care which what it is um i'm in big favor of an operating agreement especially when you're when you're doing with with uh, jvs or you're doing with partnerships and stuff i love partnerships people say oh terry you're crazy you know they always get hurt you always get hurt not if you if you iron out the particulars in the beginning put everybody's roles and responsibilities so i even teach the the people i work with they do the same thing with their, the, the employees or team members they bring on. Have something that's stronger than a um, job description, uh, which most companies don't have. They don't have an organization chart. They don't have it. Oh, we're too small. We don't need all that. But you do need it. You need to outline everything that needs to be done in your, in your business. But at the same time, amp it up a little bit and, get a, and, and create an actual position contract, as I call them, uh, it's a job description that is broken up to, into four parts. And the most important part is it lays out everything about what it is you're responsible for doing. It lays out how you'll be graded on those uh, those tasks, and it tells you how much you'll get paid based on your grade that you um, that you achieve. And you both sign it. And then even the, uh, the employee understands exactly what he's supposed to be doing a uh, man taught me years ago that if you ever wanted to fire somebody, you shouldn't fire them. Firing is bad energy. It's bad karma. It's all these different bad, bad, bad things. So all you have to do is get ask the, uh, the person to do their job because they're too busy doing somebody else's job. But if you get them to do their job, then they'll just quit. Can you develop that a little bit further? I mean, uh, 
get them to do their own job and that'll cause them to quit. Is that what I heard? Yes, exactly. Because, see, when people come on to a company, uh, most of them, especially uh, young entrepreneurs, they don't have a training uh, process in place. One of the things I suggest that all companies should have is have a training uh, you know, concept or how you're going to be trained. Uh, and I'm guilty of it. So when I have an air, when my air conditioning world, I bring on a new person, and that person would stand around for like a half a day, trying to everybody's trying to figure out what do we get him to do. We're all busy. busy. So um, what I suggest now is that you have a training program so you can bring them on and actually get them the you know uh, what they're going to do day one, day two, day three, day four, so forth and, and so on, all the way down the trail. So if they understand what they're doing now, typically. Go back to the other way. So the guy comes on board. He's standing around. So Susie's standing there and says, oh, come over here. Uh, I, you can do the shredding. And he really likes using the shredder. But it's not his job. He's an air conditioning technician. Okay, so he uh, he's busy. He's in there talking with me. And then I get a phone call. I have to, he has to step out. He goes over, sees some papers, needs shredding, and he starts shredding them. And he just keeps doing it. Well, then Sally forgets that it's her job, and she thinks it's his job. And you come out, and you get mad one day because he's standing at the shredder, and you're like, what the world are you doing? He says, well, I'm shredding this. Well, why? He says, well, I just thought this was my job. And he's actually doing something else. And if you ask him to do his job, stay in his lane, get back to doing technical work, technician work, he doesn't want to do that. He wants to go play in the air conditioning, and, and I'm making a big deal out of it but that's that's the <laughs> way it is i mean people just gravitate to where they want what they like to do comfortably so my position contracts give you that power as the employer you when you sit down and grade these uh, position contracts with your people each quarter you find out what they like to do and what you don't like to do uh, real quick uh, story here was i was working with this lady and um the idea was for her to go into this. Uh, it was a furniture store, so the idea was she had to, you know, to be sales and so forth and so on. And and so at the end of the day, she had to run this batch report, which was collected all the stuff that was sold, merchandise was sold, adjusted warehouse inventories, and then so everybody opens up the next day, knowing where what the what furniture they have to sell. Well, she could she screw this batch report up time and time again. So and it was just it would take you know hours to unravel her mistakes. So what we decided to do was she liked coming in in the morning. So we made her the opening person, salesperson. She got in, turned the computers on, emptied the trash, got the showroom cleaned and de- decorated, ready to go, uh, you know, staging it. And then somebody else would close uh, do the batch report. So we we saved time that way. Yeah, uh, and and you know that. Uh... What jumped out at me uh, in everything you said was it seemed like the person who was supposed to be doing the tech work or what have you, maybe they didn't really need to be doing tech work because they enjoyed shredding paper more. Exactly. So to me, it speaks of uh, what some might call passion tests. Well, and now we use profiling. You know, we didn't have that back then. But now if you're applying to be a technician and you don't have – if your profile doesn't check out to be that you're – you are a technician, then you're not going to be fit for that job. If you sign right. up, if you do a profile now and you're supposed to be a um, air conditioning, I mean, I um, um, uh, lost my train of thought there. Uh, my apologies. Uh, but if you're trying to be a salesperson and you come on as an amiable, have an amiable personality, then you're not going to, um, you're not going to uh, be a good salesperson because you need to be outgoing. Right. Uh, you know, and we see this a lot in the automotive sales industries. Uh, they, you know, people get promoted to sales manager because they do really good work on the sales floor. Uh, but you find out that they really aren't set to be managers. In fact, uh, a friend of mine uh, has been in automotive sales his entire career, over 20 years. And he's really, really good as a sales associate. I mean, he, he has customers who follow him from dealer ship the dealership uh, and they'll buy whatever he happens to be selling at that time because it's him. I mean, he's doing everything right. And after 20 years, he's got like his own fan club of people that'll buy whatever car he happens to be selling when they're ready for a new car, which is what you're supposed to do when you're in automotive sales if you want to you know, hang in for the long haul. Well, in a couple different, in a couple different opportunities in his life, he was promoted in, to become a sales manager. And he found himself after a month or a couple months of it saying, please, uh, can I go back out on the floor? 
because he recognizes that being a sales manager is just not what he's it's not his passion he doesn't enjoy it and he doesn't have the skill set that is required to be a manager it's not saying that he's not good enough to be a manager it's saying that he's better on the floor so he does his best work out there with the customers but somebody else might not be good with customers and they're better off managing the office so you have to understand that maybe people are not in the place where they belong so they may need to move whether it's within the company or without well and think of it this way too again camping on to what you said um a lot of times uh, a manager uh you know the powers to be okay the big boss okay he looks out and he sees uh, adam you doing great at sales okay so uh the collective idea is to promote you into that sales uh manager's position in hopes right. that you will teach the other salespeople what you're what you're doing right and what happens is the person who got there okay got there based on results okay but then what happens is they got there based on the uh, again the results so they don't want to teach anybody what they know because if they teach them then that person is going to take their job away from them okay so that, that you're looking at yeah. you're looking at it you know again came to what you said but but there's two different paradigms here of what just happened and the this is where you know what we you know accomplished at radio shack was we had actual training programs. So before you could go into management, we had an MIT program, manager and training program, so that we had managers in waiting. So you you would keep these the manager class full each each quarter. It was a, a, a ninety day course, but you you would keep them cool, uh, you know, full, and that way you always had managers waiting to step up. Like we're now supposed to be we're supposed to be in business today. We should be work we should have the people who are working in the business, meaning the the people who deal with the customers and like you alluded to earlier, you know, exceptional great customer service, absolutely impeccable customer service. Put these people on the front lines, empower them to make sure that customer is is taken care of. Then you put your middle management people into creating training programs and, and coaching with them and keeping them moving forward. And then the upper management, that leaves these guys, the C-level guys, the visionaries, to work on the vision of the company, keep the company moving towards the vision. What happens in small business is the guy starts out as the visionary. He's sucked into the manager role to get some things going, the copier, the paper, and all these neat things going. And then he dives into the the technician's role or the technical role or the working in the business role, and then that gravitational pull keeps him there almost forever, almost forever because he yeah. then gets to a point to where all the knowledge is his, he owns it, and when somebody tries to bring somebody on, they don't think the same way that he does. So they, when they mess it up and he steps in, well, then that employee, what he does is says, well, all I have to do is get it to this point, and Adam is going to step in, and he'll pick it up from here. And then you're actually training your your people to only take the projects to certain levels because you get to be the one that comes in and fixes it. You're the savior. Right, right, right. And when you have a savior, everybody sits back and waits to be saved, unfortunately. Exactly. And, uh, so exactly. You, really don't, you, really, you really don't want that. You, you know what? There's a few things we're supposed to cover here, but we got to take this in a little bit of a – different direction because uh, there's something okay. that's uh, I, I want to throw in front of you here now we're talking about finding customers keeping customers getting them to spend more money and we're looking at it from a business development perspective so let me tell you a story and I think and I think you're going to appreciate where I'm going with this and I think our listeners will too because they've all been there uh, it's not unusual for somebody who's in business who's a business creator to when they need to get their websites up they start with a hosting company that's highly recommended uh, they do their due diligence. They go to all the discussion groups. They say, who's the best company to host my WordPress website? They go with the Vogue Populi. They pick one. And for a couple years, things work great. Then maybe that company gets acquired or maybe they get new management or maybe that company gets complacent. And suddenly, customer service goes down the hill. Instead of uh, you know telephone customer support being helpful and available, instead of live chat actually helping you, they dump you on support text who will take a week to respond and then won't even answer your damn question. 
and then they'll start doing things where they're trying to, you know, in some cases it feels like they're extorting money out of you. Like if you don't give them more money, they're going to find some excuse to take your website down. Uh, so you have this great web company that goes to hell in a handbasket. Or another example is you have a company that starts out great. Uh, they have a, you know, they have a good startup culture and then they get acquired by a bigger company and suddenly all their servers go to hell in a handbasket. Sites are crashing all the time. And, uh, and you know, you get, you, 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 you yell at the tech support reps. Um, I remember one case I worked with this one company that was really great until they went bad. And I kept trying to tell them, guys, I think your servers are about to blow because I've seen this, I've seen this, and I've seen this. And they said, what do you know? Servers are fine. And uh, when their servers crashed and took their entire network down for three days, who do you think was first in line to say, pal, I told you so? Me. Me. I said, I told you so. Uh, here's what I've discovered, and this is why I bring this up and why I want to bring you into this conversation here, Terry, is I discovered that in most cases, the front-end representatives would say things like, you know, I really wish you wouldn't yell at me. I really wish you wouldn't take this out on me. I'm really trying to help you here. And it occurred to me, the light bulb went off, that these good, honest tech support reps and customer support reps are stuck on the front line, and they're given no backup for management. So this tech support rep hears 10 times a day how – 10 different customers warn them that the server is giving signs it's about to crash. So they go to management, and management doesn't exactly say, out of hell with that customer, but they say, you know, you've got to understand, these customers have a responsibility to make sure that they uh, are using our servers properly. So anytime you hear them say uh, the server is about to crash, you really need to push that back on them. But customer's real motive is to just not deal with it. So the person on the front line agrees with the customer, knows the customer is right, but the actual pushback they get is from their own management. What do you think of that? Uh, common mistakes made by businesses in every industry. Um, again, uh, without knowing the, the reason for the buyouts or whatever, um, that's aside the point. The 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 customer service, the customer has to be the boss. When I put together an organizational chart, my organizational chart is actually upside down where the customer is the boss. Okay, that's the, that's the first rule in business. You listen to your customers, you, you, you pay attention, and if they tell you that your, servers, uh, your server is, um, you know, and they communicate that to one of the frontline people and that frontline person is, communicates that back to the management staff, those, it's their responsibility to, to double-check, triple-check to make sure that that information is, is you know, correct. It's not leaving it for chance or, um, you know, a dice roll for it. Because if the, the customer, in today's world, you know it as well as I do, Adam, the customer is the power. They have the money. They can spend their money anywhere they want to. Okay, you take Zappos for an example. Um, these guys, if you call up, you probably know this, you cannot do anything wrong at Zappos, okay? If you, if the customer calls up and misdialed and you, they think they call Papa John's Pizza and they ask for a pizza, it's their job to get a pizza <laughs> delivered to their house. It's, they did not miscall. Nobody told that's, me that. So I called Zappos to order a pizza, and son of a gun, they sent a pizza to my house. I'm not kidding you. I know they, that they're, they're, they're not making a profit. If you look at their books, that's not the idea behind it. But um, there are Nordstrom's. You can go – there's a tire that hangs in the back of every stockroom of a, of a Nordstrom's to remind every employee of the little old man who brought his tires back to Nordstrom's. What is wrong with that picture, Adam? Nordstrom's does not sell tires. But because that man brought his – Tires with a receipt with that address on, they gave him his full refund. You, the, the dissatisfied customer is going to go out and he's going to tell a ton of people. A satisfied customer probably will only tell two or three, but a customer that you do an excellent service recovery, they will tell everyone. Give you a little example on, on a uh, customer service issue that I uh, dealt with. 
This was uh, air conditioning. So one of our policies was this. So I come out to your house, Adam, and I, uh, your fan motor's bad. We sell you a fan motor. We put it in. Uh, we, everything that, that comes with, with my work was one year, which is a, another story, but it was, it was way past the competitors. They thought I was crazy. And anyway, so three months later, you call me up, and I come out, and it's another part. And you say, Terry, uh, you know, if I with these two parts, I could I could buy a new, you know, almost buy a new uh, air conditioner. I would say, Adam, I tell you what you do. You find the the air conditioner you want. You get the model number you want. You get the price, the best price you can. I'll get that same model number for you. I'll put it in for the same price, less the two hundred dollars you spend on that fan motor. I lost right. my I lost on that, Adam. Obviously, but what I did was I got that customer to tell 10, 15 other people, oh, my God, you're not going to believe what these guys did. And that's when I sold my air conditioning company after 10 years, I had 7,000 customers that had done business with me for three years or longer, and that's how we evaluated the company. Yeah, you know, as you were, as you were telling that story, we, uh, and you jumped on the Zappos example, which had already been running through my mind, uh, I was getting ready to say before you said substantially the same thing, you know, they're not, you know, you know, sending pizzas to people's houses because they, you know, because it's, you know, some weird thing about their company. The reason they're doing that is because right now, Terry Ogburn and Adam Homie are sitting on the Business Creators Radio Show talking about Zappos. We're not talking about exactly. the other online shoe retailers. Exactly. That's why they and do it. It's that simple. Exactly. It's that. You're perfectly right. Uh, same as well as Norsom. They want that story told about the little old man. Uh, all of this is is the guest experience as as Magic Kingdom. Like, you've ever been to uh, Walt Disney World? Adam, have you ever been to Disneyland or Walt Disney World? Never been to either one of those. Okay. Well, if you ever get a chance and you and go to Disneyland, like uh, whatever, you're going to go through Main Street, and there's these little hitching post things in front of every one of the stores on Main Street. Those pitching posts are stripped and painted every night after the guests go home. Disney uh, strips those and paints them so that those pitching posts are fresh every morning for the guests to come in. Now, you say, wow, wow Terry, that's wow, right? But they get thirty over 30,000 people through Main Street every day. Can you imagine what those pitching posts would look like after a week? I don't um, want to imagine, but I get the idea. <laughs> no. Yeah, so they another thing that they do is when you walk into that park, the music is, is loud and it's crazy and people are jumping all over the place. But as you go through the park, as the day subsides, the music lowers and lowers and lowers. So when you're walking out of the park, that music is soft and, and uh, almost like uh, music that would help you get to sleep type stuff. Because nobody – can you imagine going out the door? It's 9 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night, and there's some Disney character jumping up and down and screaming, have a great evening. <laughs> I mean, I mean uh, but they take all of those types of things into consideration so that you and I and other people continue to go around and ex ex share their experiences with them. Yeah. And, and, you know, what I was thinking as you were saying that is sort of like, uh, you know, managing the human – conditions so you spend your day at the disney theme park and then it's like you know the end of the day you're ending it you're ending it the way you would typically end any day where you wind things down you turn down the lights you turn down the music you turn down the bed sheets so it's all about turning down turning down turning down uh that's exactly. that's what i got out of it but when you first walk in in the morning it's like yeah you just had your your coffee, your tea, your breakfast. Uh, you, 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 you're excited. You're taking. You're taking us on. Uh, Zippity doodah. Exactly. Um, and the the illustration you made earlier when you talked about find them, keep them, and get them to spend more money. Um, think about how many people that actually go to Disney or go to these pieces and have this excellent customer service. All they're doing is getting them to spend more money. And right. the, tr the trick is like you started us off at. You've got to find them, get the right demographic, get the right psychographic, your pinpoint your direction, find them, and then you keep them through great customer service, 
And then you, through great customer service, you'll get repeat and referral business, which now you, your business is on automatic pilot because your customers are actually standing in line, like companies like McDonald's, for an example. Ray Kroc never was designed to build a McDonald's. He wasn't, that wasn't what he wanted was a hamburger stand. What he wanted was a franchise where people would stand in line to buy. And even after this man passed away, one is gone on to be uh, with our Lord. He, um, people are still standing in line to buy his, his, his uh, franchises. And believe me, if you walked up, Adam, and, you, and your turn came up, and they said the next one was going to be in Topeka, Kansas, and you don't want it, you go to the back of the line. You don't get yeah. the you, you, no, you go the next one that's being built or the next one's available. That's your that's yours. You go through Hamburger U. You go through you, you use their contracts. You use their attorneys. You use their banks. You use their mortgage companies. They control the whole uh, kit and caboodle. And I've been there in Chicago. I've actually been to Hamburger U, not inside the yeah. in, inside it, but I've been to the office park and the location and all that. Yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. And yeah, when you look at, um, if we're talking about the franchising model, what's beautiful about franchise models is it really is a turnkey business. You don't have to think through a lot of this logistical stuff because others who specialize in it have done that for you. But at the same time, if you have like a franchise McDonald's or something like that, what does remain your responsibility is making it profitable, building and holding a customer base. I mean, if you get a reputation as a place where you're, you're surly, arrogant, uh, lazy employees uh, can't look up from their texting long enough to, to even bother to ask you if you want fries with that, and they get a reputation as probably the type of people that will spit in your food, uh, believe me, people will – will not give up on McDonald's because they're used to McDonald's and they have a love of McDonald's, but they, but it's not such a big deal to drive 10 minutes to go to the McDonald's in the next town where the person will ask them if they want fries with that and won't spit in their food. It's actually worth a 10 minute drive to avoid that. And that franchise that does not pay attention to customer service and building its own customer base will fail. Um, and interesting. You brought that up. Uh, McDonald's uses a lot of mystery shoppers. Yeah. So they keep actually, uh, in a lot of major companies now, and I encourage this to your listeners as well, don't be afraid to mystery shop. You know, mystery shop right. your competitors. Mystery shop other people. Yeah, and, and you know, you know, pick out the things they do and find ways to, to do it better. I used to, every once in a while, just to shake up my interior staff, and I'd say, pick up the phone, call, them, call around, see what, what service calls are going for today. You know, and, exactly. And call them. Um, mm-hmm. But another thing we did, too, uh, uh, along with getting more repeat business, was after each evening, every customer had to be called before Mary Beth was my, my lady's uh, yeah. uh, did that. Um, Mary Beth's job was to make sure she had talked to every customer that we had service with, you know, had done service with that day, and get their a feedback form filled out. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, we cleaned – we cleaned up our technicians. We we took them from what we would think, you know, because we're in that industry, and you're not, you know, we'll take a moment to clean underneath your fingernails. Take a moment to do this, and take a moment to do this, and take a moment to sweep and clean. Because right, all right, those, right. Uh, they, um, you know, it's funny what the customers, you know, pay attention to. Yeah. You know, you get onto you're, an airplane, you get on you get into the, to a Delta airplane, and you pull down the the seat tray in front of you, and it's all filled with dirt and coffee stains and everything. You're wondering what 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 about the engines? Yeah, very, yeah, you're you're right. You're right about that. And actually, um, we are at the top of the hour here. Believe it or not, time really flew. Good. I'm glad it did. I had a wow, good time. I know. Yeah, <laughs> I know. But we covered so much. We have we have 60 seconds left. 30 of them are yours. Tell our listeners who stayed the whole time how they can get more. Well, if the, any one of your listeners that would like to spend a half hour with me to discuss a uh, problem or an opportunity you have and you need help with it, challenge with it, uh, I'll be glad to spend that, uh, time with them. They just simply go to Ogburn's Business Solutions website, opt in there. It tells you uh, just follow the opt-in there, 
tell you what we can work on. You submit that to me. We'll get it all hooked up, and I will uh, gladly spend a half hour with you. No sales pitch, no upsells, no nothing. Just actually clamp down and work on a problem. Exactly, and uh, that'll, that's your website, uh, AugburnBusinessSolutions.com? Correct. All right. Okay, so everybody, thank you. Uh, Terry Ogburn, thank you so much for being with us. It's been an honor and an education. Well, thank you so much again for having me, and uh, I'd love to return and, and come back and share some more stories with you. We're going to have to do that. All right. So for everybody listening, this is Adam Homie, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.